The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please be seated in God's house as you recognize that you're in the presence of God, be taking your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 of His Word. Welcome to everybody here and those joining us online. I know there are people joining us online and I am very grateful that we have the ability and the technology to be able to have our services that can go into the homes of those who physically are unable to be here. And many of those people, I was in your homes this week, so I just want to be able to look in the camera and say that I love you, and I'm praying that God sends a special blessing into your home this very morning. Preachers have a decision to make every single Sunday. And the decision they have to make is what kind of message they're going to preach. Uh, It's very easy and very tempting to preach messages that gets that get lots of amens and praise the lords and we all go home and eat lunch and fellowship and have a good time but there come time comes there come times in which god calls the preacher to preach in such a way that is is difficult quite frankly it's it's real ministry and And I'm not naive, I recognize that many times these types of sermons are the reasons that people leave churches. And uh, when I've preached messages like this in the past, they've been no exception. There are numerous people that are not here based on messages that I believe the Holy Spirit of God guides the preacher to preach. And uh, and the reason, the real driving forces for me to preach these kinds of messages are because I believe that they are biblical. And I also believe that they are loving. Now, many people don't see it as loving. We have come to be a people that gauge how loving something is by how it makes us feel at the time and in the moment. And I'm just reminded that Jesus, when he was accomplishing the greatest act of love that could ever be and ever will be accomplished, people killed him for it. But it was indeed loving. We usually pray and then we just get straight into the sermon, but I believe that the Lord would have us go into a moment of repentance together as a church. And I'd like to share with you the reason as to why I think that ought to be so for New Covenant Community Church this morning. The reason is because you and I could get on an airplane and we could fly ourselves to a place called India where the predominant religion is Hinduism. If you know much about Hinduism, you know that multitude of gods are worshipped, the cow being chief among them, literally. And you can be walking down the streets in India and you can see an Indian man sitting there and you can say, Jesus is Lord. And that man will look at you and very likely he will smile and perhaps even give you a thumbs up. But if you go to India and you're walking down the street and you see a man sitting on the side of the road and you see him worshiping a cow as they commonly do in the streets and you are to say to that man, Jesus is Lord over that cow, 
The cow is a nice thing to have, and it's a blessing, and the milk that you get from that cow is a good blessing for your family, but, but Jesus is Lord over that cow. Jesus is the only thing worthy to be worshipped. It's not right that you're worshipping this cow. This cow will get you nowhere in eternity. Jesus is the only one worthy to be worshipped. If you say that, that can get you killed in some circles. It's a sure ingredient to, it's the surefire recipe to get you to not be liked and to have strange expressions as people look at you in disbelief and, and anger against you. But I'm not so convinced, church, that really we're much different than that. And here's what I mean by that. You can go not to India, but to the American pulpit, and you can say, Jesus is Lord. And people smile and are happy with you, and they go home happy to go to lunch and all the rest. But, but if you say, Jesus is Lord over all of the idols that compete in our heart with Christ, those things that we put in our heart that sit predominantly on the throne of our hearts, Jesus is Lord over those things. Those things are good blessings, good things to be enjoyed, but they are not worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is Lord over those things. You'll get people that look at you funny. You'll get people angry at you. And just in case you're wondering, I am not, I don't believe that God has formulated this message, nor have I done it on human ability against any one individual person in this church. This is not based on any one conversation. So if you are sitting in your seat today thinking that I am pointing this sermon at any one people, I am not. I believe that the numerous conversations that I've had with people in this church over the course of the past several weeks, as I have said, in other words, that Jesus is Lord over the things that we commonly hold as idols in our life, and the tense conversations and moments that have gone on over the past several weeks, I think that that's just probably indicative of the rest of us. Perhaps it's true what the Old Testament tells us of the Old Testament children of God, how their hearts were fickle how they were quick to worship an idol. That maybe just perhaps New Covenant Community Church is not like this special breed of human. Maybe we're just, maybe our hearts are revealed by Scripture. Maybe it's true that it shows us who we are. And that's the reason I'm preaching this this morning. And this is something for us to repent of. I too have a reason to repent. Because even when it becomes so clear to the preacher, when I, when I lay in bed at night awake and I'll preach the sermon that I'm about ready to preach to you, I'll preach it three times in my head every single night as God is giving me this message. And, and the temptation is truly there, church, just to go up here and preach a feel-good message. I'm reminded of what the Pharisees did in John 12, 34 when they believed. There were actually some among the leadership that believed, but the Bible says that they did not follow, they did not confess Christ because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I know that me personally, I have been tempted and guilty of that. So I'm just going to invite you now to just join me in this time as we, as we say that we're sorry before the Lord and as we then enjoy the grace that is only made possible by a risen Savior. So pray with me.
Father, as your word has as your word has revealed to us what these human hearts are like. We recognize these tendencies in this heart that is tainted by sin to, to give our praise to that of other things. Father, we have worshipped things that cannot see, we have sung the praise of things that cannot hear. We have worshipped things that cannot perceive. Father, when we look at ourselves and the way that we behave, when we see the hearts of the people as your children did in the wilderness, as we survey our own lives, Do we find ourselves so lacking? Do we find ourselves so very guilty of the sin of idolatry? Jesus, I'm asking, we are asking you this morning, Lord, to forgive us of having made you one of our favorite hobbies. You deserve to be worshipped as king. You deserve to be worshipped as Lord. And we've treated you like the hobby that we perhaps love most. Please forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for those things, I pray. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, thank you, that you made the way for us to be able to come here that you step down from heaven to build a bridge for us, that we can be clothed in your righteousness. Because, Lord, when we, when we look at our own righteousness, we are found so lacking before you. But when we stand in your righteousness that you have purchased and redeemed this way of salvation for us, it is a sweet place to be. It is one of comfort. It's one of joy. It's one of perfect safety. So Jesus, thank you for having won that for us. And we are joyful now to stand in your righteousness and only your righteousness. We love you for it, Jesus. It's in only your name that we do pray. And the church says together, Um, could I have someone bring me a tissue, if you wouldn't mind? I'm going to continue on preaching. If someone, um, Butch, could you grab me a tissue, please, there from the back and bring that up to me, I, I would ask. Um, true story. During Hitler's Holocaust, there was a family of Dutch watchmakers. These Dutch watchmakers were Christians. They knew the Lord. And as such, they would harbor Jewish people. These people whom, thank you, Butch. These people, these people whom the Gestapo, the secret German police, were after 
This family of Dutch watchmakers by the last name of Tenboom, they would harbor these people. And there was one time that a lady, a Jewish lady, and her two-year-old newborn, not two-year-old, excuse me, two-week-old newborn, came to seek refuge at their home. And there was only one problem, was that this baby cried a lot, much like my kids do. And... And the Tenboom family, their home was in a downtown kind of area. They were very afraid that the crying of this baby was going, someone was going to hear it and that they would turn them in to the secret police and they would no longer be able to harbor these people as they knew was the right thing to do. And, and one day, Corey, who was the daughter of this Dutch watchmaker, she, she sees the solution that she thought was walking right in the door. It was a preacher who they knew and supposedly knew well and and, and she knew that this particular preacher lived back in the woods out in the country where this baby could cry and no one would ever be able to hear this baby cry. So she thought, man, I ought to get this young mother and her new baby to go stay at this preacher's house. They'd be so much safer there. So she goes up to the preacher and, of course, he brought his watch in. He needed his watch repaired. This is a true story, friends. He brought his watch in to be repaired and Corey Tinboom goes up and says, Preacher, how are you doing? We'll fix your watch. But... But we've got, we've got this lady, this Jewish lady and her little baby and, and the baby cries all the time. We're really afraid that we're going to get found out here based on how close our house is downtown here. And, but, but they'd be so much safer. There'd be so much less of a chance that they would get arrested if you would keep them at your house. And the response of the preacher was that to say that he, he thought it was too risky. He couldn't do it. And then Corey Tinboom has an idea. She thought that just perhaps if this preacher held this newborn baby in his hands, that, that it would soften his heart to the point where he would, he would help them in this good mission that they were on to harbor these people. So she runs and gets the baby from the mother, and she takes it and she sets the baby in the preacher's arms. She says, we please help this mother and her baby? They need help. They're going to get found out if they stay here. This baby keeps crying. And, and the preacher looks at the baby and says, I could die for this. I could die if I harbor this baby. Little did they know, did the preacher nor Corey Tinboom know that Corey Tinboom's father, the old Dutch watchmaker, was standing near the door. And he picks up this baby, a man, an elderly man, a feeble old man with a long white beard, and he picks up the baby and he looks at this preacher and he says, It would be no greater honor for this family than to be able to die for the cause of this baby. When you survey the ministry of Jesus, you'll notice something interesting in the gospel when you look closely at the persecution that Jesus faced. You will notice that it's always against Jesus and Jesus alone is this persecution. Jesus is teaching and it was him that they wanted to lay hands on. It was Jesus that they wanted to arrest. It was Jesus that the Pharisees would pick the stones up off the ground ready to stone him to death before he could slip away. That's what they were going to do to Jesus. And it's always it's interesting to me, I noticed this this week, that we know the disciples were with him. We know that they were eyewitnesses to his ministry. They were there. But we never have this picture of Jesus being persecuted with his disciples. They saw it. They saw the Pharisees pick up the stones they saw how Jesus had to slip through the crowds to save his life they saw these certain things and then when you fast forward post Easter post the resurrection post the ascension 
And it's almost as if the disciples are then carrying the torch. It's them that are then going out to preach this message that Jesus had given them to preach and to proclaim. And then all of a sudden you see the persecution shift from Jesus then to specifically the disciples. So based on that pattern that we see in the narrative of the Gospels and the narrative of the New Testament, I believe very clearly that when the disciples took this mission, they did what Jesus had called them to do. We've studied here in the book of Acts how they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now inside of these believers for the purpose of this preaching and gospel proclamation. And I believe that the disciples knew what it was that they were getting into. They seen Jesus be persecuted in this way. They had seen those things. And now they're carrying this same kind of message. They knew, I believe, what they were getting themselves into. And even despite that, they went about it like a Dutch watchmaker. They knew some things that caused them to minister and to be a certain way that was this not worship of self, but doing the right thing, even if it does mean the person's death. Which in the case of the Dutch watchmaker, the father of Corey Tenboom, it did mean his life. It did mean his life. But he did it anyway. So just as a, to give you a glimpse of what we're heading into here, we are going to be looking at the events today in Acts chapter 3 that lead to the arrest of Peter and John. And it's for that purpose that I decided to title this sermon. Next slide, please. The book of Acts, How to Get People to Not Like You. need help with that but <laughs> certainly friends this is a tongue-in-cheek kind of title that I'll give further explanation of later but for now it's enough for us to go to Acts chapter 3 in verse 1 now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered to the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him and walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, in light of what we have discussed thus far, church, this morning, that the disciples very likely knew the danger in which they were going into to preach and proclaim this man named Jesus, the first way we have this morning to get people to not like you is... To see Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. 
to see Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. Peter and John are going up to the temple together. They've probably seen this man before. He's at the gate. He's always there. The people bring him there every day. He was lame from his mother's womb. Even gives a picture that before this man was even born, while he was in utero, this man was lame from that point in time. And he's asking for something obvious. He's sitting there asking for alms. He was always sitting there asking for money and food and things that would help him care for his necessities. He was always asking for those things. And clearly Peter and John didn't have those things to give, but they, they almost go right past what it was that they could do for this earthly life that he has. And they gave him the thing that was of the highest treasure. They had Jesus, which was the thing to give them. It was not the thing that was requested. Alms was the things that was requested. But they gave him the thing that they saw as the highest treasure, the person of Jesus Christ himself. Now we know, knowing the rest of this chapter, knowing the rest of the story, that, that this was the start of things that led to the arrest of Peter and John. It was not appreciated, it was not liked that Peter and John saw Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. They saw that as repulsive. And we've seen this pattern before in Luke chapter 5, a different paralytic during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. The friends bring the paralytic. The house is so crowded that they can't get inside. So they go up to the roof, rip open the roof, and they lower their friend down. Now the obvious thing that they're requesting is for the rabbi to heal this guy of his being a paralytic. They're asking this teacher to heal him. They had seen him do it before. They were asking him to heal their friend of his ability to not be able to walk. But the very first thing that Jesus says to this person is your sins are forgiven. It goes right past the obvious thing that this man was requesting and goes straight to the point of what this man truly needs, the very nature that only Jesus can provide, the forgiveness of sin. It was the first thing that he gave. And we know in that circumstance also that the people didn't like Jesus because of that. When Jesus saw himself as the true reality that he is, the highest treasure to have, the highest treasure to give, it was not appreciated by the people. Just this past Wednesday, we had an awesome night of singing and testimony and and Nick right back there was one of the people that shared. And one of the things that just brought tears to my eyes when he shared this, he says, my name is Nick, and I'm a trucker, and I have found a treasure. I have found a treasure in the person of Christ. And what he probably already knows, and just in case you don't know, Nick, that, that your lost friends, people that don't know Jesus, they're going to think he's crazy for having found this treasure and this man named Jesus, this Nazarene named Jesus. They're going to think he's off his rocker for having found this great treasure and seeing Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. Now that ought to be expected in the world. They're lost people. Lost people are going to do lost people things and think lost people thoughts. But the group that should never find Nick to be crazy for having found this treasure in Christ is the church. And that's why I believe that, that God himself has drawn me to preach this to, for us all get together to agree that Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give. The Dutch watchmaker was such an old and feeble man that when the Gestapo finally found that what they were doing in this home and harboring these Jewish people... 
The Gestapo actually gave the Dutch watchmaker, the father of Corey Tinboom, they gave him an ultimatum. He was such an old and feeble man that it almost wasn't even worth arresting him. And the ultimatum that they gave him was, if you promise to stop harboring these people in your home, we won't arrest you. In other words, it was almost as if the devil gave him an option to say, if, if you are willing to see your life, if you are willing to see other things as the highest treasure to have and to give, other than this Jesus that is causing you to harbor these people, if you will see something else as the highest treasure to have and to give other than Jesus, we won't arrest you. To which the Dutch watchmaker stands up and he says, because of my faith in Christ, the first person that knocks on that door and needs help, I'm going to help them. And they arrested him and he eventually died just a few short days later there in prison. New Covenant Community Church, I'm not here this morning to get amens and praise the Lord. What I am here to do today is to say that it's time for us to stand up and be like that Dutch watchmaker. It's time for our hearts to collectively see that Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give above all things. For us to collectively see as a church... That Jesus is the highest treasure over the cow. The cow's a good blessing. Enjoy the family cow, but don't worship the thing. It's not worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is the highest treasure. Worshipping self, which is what that cowardly preacher did. Valuing his own life over what was right. The thing that was to do was right. The worship of himself was on the throne of of that man's heart. And not that of Christ, and it's not right. Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give. Cows are not worth worshiping. Ourselves are not worth worshiping. American politics are not worth worshiping. Our own children are not worth worshiping. Sports are not worth worshiping. And if there's this sense inside of your heart like, oh, I hope he doesn't say this thing, then that's probably the Holy Spirit saying that you need to repent of this thing that you have enthroned in your heart that's not the Son of God himself. These are hard messages to preach and I understand that. I understand these things, but I'm just, I'm here to, for us to say, and I, and I believe with all of my heart that God has drawn me to publicly proclaim to you that we as a church, we must see Jesus as the highest treasure, the absolute highest treasure to have and to give. The paralytic man sat begging for alms and people were giving him that. People were giving the thing that was asked for. The idols of the world, friends, listen to me now. The idols of the world are sitting there. They are begging and even demanding that we worship them. And people are giving them the worship. The devil has orchestrated these idols in our lives and in the world that people are worshiping, and it's not right. That preacher worshiped himself. It's why he valued his life over that. of He was a preacher. He knew the Bible. He knew what was right, but he worshiped himself. It's time for us not to be like the cowardly preacher. It's time for us to be like that Dutch watchmaker. Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give. So what does this look like as we traverse our world with people that do not see this? How do we minister to those? It used to be called global warming. And then it was called climate change. And now the name for it, I'm learning, is climate justice. So I hope you see how they like they pigeonhole anybody that doesn't isn't with their agenda. You're unjust. 
if you don't worship this thing as they do. I hope you see that for clarity. But, but how, how, are we to lo- how do we show them why we are the way we are? As, and when we proudly say that Jesus is the highest treasure of this heart, I worship him only. There's other things I'll learn about and do, but Jesus sits on the throne as God and King. He is the one that I worship. How, how do we communicate that to a lost and dying world? I think we would preach it to them the same way that we would preach to someone in Noah's day who said that they were going to outswim the flood. You would look at them and say, it doesn't matter that you can swim. It doesn't matter that you've got these good works. The provision that God has made is the only way to be saved. The provision that God has made through Christ on the cross, crucified, resurrected, and ascended on high, that way of salvation that God has made, that is the only thing that can do anything about your sinful condition. This movement of climate justice, it doesn't matter how just you are before the climate, it won't do anything before your sin, before a holy God. That's how we preach to them. We lovingly, but with passion and fervor, tell them the truth that Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give. And to miss that is to be like a cowardly preacher. But to not miss it is to have the awesome legacy of that Dutch watchmaker that stood up and said, it would be an honor. It would be an honor to do the right thing in this family, even if it means the cost of our life. So if you look to verse 11, and now we can see the result of Peter and John seeing Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. Verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's greatly amazed so when Peter saw it he responded to the people men of Israel why do you marvel at this or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So Peter and John are standing there. They're on this porch. The people are amazed that this man has just been healed. And Peter says, it is not us. It is not through the means of these men that you see before you that have healed this man. The one who has authority, the one who has power is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his power that this man has been made well. And oh, by the way, you killed him. Oh, by the way, you're accountable to this God of authority, this God of power that you see has made this man walking. So the second way to get people to not like you today is to see Jesus as the highest authority to which we are accountable. To see Jesus as the highest authority to which we are accountable. 
And we certainly see this here in the book of Acts, that Peter and John saw this. Again, very likely knowing that it would bring about this persecution because they saw it happen for Jesus numerous times. And more importantly, we see out throughout the rest of the entirety of Scripture that this element of Jesus being the authority to which we are most accountable is throughout the entirety of Scripture. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the de demons believe and tremble. Revelation 19.11-16, now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine white linen followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the highest authority to which we are accountable. If you agree, say yes. Now what seeing Jesus is the highest treasure to have and to give, I hope you've seen it clearly already, but just in case you haven't, when you see Jesus like that, as the highest treasure to have and to give. Those who have a throne on their heart that has this battle struggle between Christ and other idols will think negatively of you for thinking, believing, preaching, saying that. That Jesus takes precedence over everything. Now what I also hope you see is that this seeing Jesus as the highest authority to which we are accountable that will definitely ruffle the feathers of those who wish to be the highest authority to which we are accountable. So if you're thinking throughout the course of history how governments have rose, risen up to be the highest authority to which we are accountable, they really don't like it when believers come along and say, no, Jesus is the highest authority. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the highest authority to which we are accountable. I know you've probably heard, as I have, about the Delta variant of this COVID thing and the next round of lockdowns and all the rest. And I, I, I mean, what a, what a huge question mark all of us have together in the future of what all this looks like. But I just want to tell you now that if, if there are unbiblical mandates like the church is not able to meet, I have no intention of leading the church to be obedient. I have no intention of shutting down this church. I have no intention of forsaking the gathering together of believers, Hebrews 10 says. As the Bible says, even some will forsake. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. 
In other words, there will be people who turn their back on the assembling together of believers. The word of God says that ought not to be so for you, child of God. It ought not to be so. So you say, Pastor Ben, what about Romans 13? And aren't we supposed to submit to government? And the answer is yes, but when God gives you an order and the government gives you another order and the two things are compatible Praise the Lord. You, you obey that. You do that. Great. Awesome. But when the Lord gives you an order through his word and the government gives you another order and the two things are conflicting, I just want to tell you that I intend to lead this church in such a way that we take the government order and we put null and void and we throw it in the trash can. God is the one who we are under the authority of. He is the authority to which we are accountable to church. And it's for that reason that even if other churches are doing other things and they're closing down, and even if Mike DeWine says, has this order, like, I respect and will obey the orders of Mike DeWine, assuming it falls in line and underneath with the will of God for the church and for my own life. But if they conflict, we ought to obey God rather than man. And people won't understand that. As, as they saw Jesus as a wicked evildoer, as a dangerous wicked evildoer, they saw Jesus as they saw the disciples as dangerous wicked evildoers, they will very likely also see us dangerous wicked evildoers for obeying the word of God and doing what it is that God has commanded us to do in his word. People won't understand that. Some of you don't understand that. And you need to repent before God because the word of God has been put in full display before you today. You are accountable to Jesus first. And some of you don't like that. But your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the word of God itself. Dear friends, if the Bible says that six foot tall blind, blonde white guys have to stand on their head an hour a day, guess what I'm going to be trying to do for an hour? It's the word of God. I've, he, it's his word. It's his instruction. Jesus is the one who has the authority that I am most accountable to. It, it doesn't matter if I like it. It doesn't matter if I understand it. It doesn't matter if it seems antithetical to what everyone else is doing. I've seen him as the one who has the authority. I've seen him as the highest treasure. And for that reason, we much, we must go about our life like the Dutch watchmaker who understood those things. He understood that Jesus was the highest authority to answer to, not the Gestapo, which everyone else was worshiping at the time, which the cowardly preacher was feared most. He made it so clear in that moment. True story absolute true story in that moment he absolutely feared the Gestapo more than he did the almighty wrath of God Jesus fire in his eyes sword out of his mouth ruling with the rod of he feared the Gestapo more we can't we mustn't we must go about this like the Dutch watchmakers so what they make what orders they will let's see them let's address them let's look at them and if they're biblical happy day we move on with life but if they're not I want to lead this church in the way that's biblical, even if it does mean my own life, even if it does mean my ministry, even if it means whatever it could mean. And some of you are ready for that. I know there's some of you that are absolutely there. I mean, you are absolutely ready to follow the word of God into whatever kind of mess we could be going into. But some of you aren't, dear friend. You need to repent. You need to trust him. You need to see him as the highest treasure to have and to give and for his authority to be the thing that you are most accountable to. Jesus has the highest authority. 
So I hope you've seen, and I hope you've seen it clearly, that this overarching message is certainly not the formula to how to get people. The goal is to not get people to not like us. That's not the goal. That's never been the goal. That'll never be the goal. But the natural result of seeing Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give, for, for those that have this power struggle going on in their heart, they won't like you for that. That is absolutely plain. When you see Jesus as the highest authority to which we are accountable, pe people that want to be that highest authority and power and you're the thing that you're most accountable to, when, when, when that happens, they won't like you for that. That's why historically, over the course of the ages, the pharaohs have not liked the children of God. Neither have the Nebuchadnezzars, the Hitlers, or our modern-day governments as we see them. They don't like believers because our allegiance is to that of another. And if you're still not convinced of this principle, listen to the words of our Lord and let them sink into your heart this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 21, Now brother will, somebody say will, Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will, somebody say will, And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will, somebody say will, you will be hated by all, by all for my name's sake. Jesus says again in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So I just wonder as a church this morning, and you and your individual life, on this scale of everyone being happy with you, and again, not the goal of being an unlikable person for the sake of being an unlikable person, but, but, but living an obedient Christian walk before Jesus that as a natural result, God's word tells us, will cause these people to be upset with us. I wonder which one of those scales we're on. Because boy, I can point to a whole bunch of people that really like me, but not so many people. It makes me just wonder for even myself, how authentic of a journey have I... This preaching that I've done over the past several weeks of really outlining these things that are idols that are dead wrong, like how many preachers would lose their popularity real fast if we all just started preaching saying, no, Jesus has got to be at the highest place in your heart. That's your design as a child of God. These other things, these other stupid things that we worship, these things are secondary. They are under Him. They are under His feet. They are not worthy to be worshipped. Jesus Christ alone holds that authority. So which are you today? Are you like that cowardly preacher or are you like the Dutch watchmaker? Are you like Peter and John that knew that these actions, these things of seeing Jesus as the highest treasure and the highest authority under which we must submit, it, have you seen those things and you're, just, you're, well, you're ready to march into that regardless of what the future is? Because the Dutch watchmaker was, so was Peter, so is John. And I hope that we can today say the same as well. Do you see Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give? Because when I survey the truth, when I walk through the barn and I'm feeding the animals, and I, as it is common for me multiple times a day to pick up an animal trough for a feeder, in the Bible, it was called a fatni. It's just a trough. It's a feeding trough. And to know that the Prince of Glory stepped down from heaven, a God who had all praise, needed nothing from me, 
owed me nothing, because of his goodness and grace, stepped down from heaven to come be born into a stable and be laid in a fontany with animal urine and animal manure for the sole purpose of coming to seek and save that which was lost and to build this way of redemption that we might be redeemed back unto a loving Father. When I survey those things, I see Jesus as the highest treasure to have and to give. When I see that he was willing to take the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, on a cross to be beaten with the cat of nine tails and pinned to a cross, to take the punishment that we deserve to be put into a borrowed tomb, and then to do the thing that it was only even possible for him to do, which was to be raised from the dead, for him to walk out of that tomb, a risen, living Savior. I see him as the highest treasure. I see him as the highest treasure to have and to give. It's the only message that can do anything for sinful mankind. It is the highest treasure. When I survey the greatness of God and his ability to stand on the edge of a boat while the storm is going crazy and he says, peace, be still. And nature obeys him. When we have this promise that he's going to come to rule with the rod of iron and he's got fire in his eyes and he's got a robe dipped in blood and he's coming not to take charge of some small territory, he's coming to take over. When I see that authority, when I see his power over death and the power over sin, when I see the devil stacked up against my Jesus and the devil being nothing before him, absolutely nothing, having to ask permission what he can even do on the world, when I see that kind of authority, I the thing I'm left with is certainly that authority is the thing that I am most accountable to. That's why I see those things, dear friends, this morning. And I hope you do too. Because I believe with all my heart that we are getting ready to move into a season that's almost like the beginning small wave of many more to come where we will have decisions to make like preachers and Dutch watchmen, Dutch watchmakers. So which will it be for you? I have every intention to point my life in the direction of being able to make the decision like that old, feeble, long gray beard Dutch watchmaker who had seen that Jesus was the highest authority and had seen him as the highest treasure. Would you stand with me as we bow our heads as we continue on to worship? Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are awesome and full of wonder and full of might. You alone are the one who can do everything that the sinner needs. You are the one alone who has broken the back of sin and death. You are the one alone who can make a sin-stained sinner to be perfect in the presence of Almighty God. You alone can do it, Jesus. And we worship you as God this morning.
as King, as Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship you first. We worship you most. You sit on the throne of our hearts. You sit at the helm of this church. Thank you for the peace, Lord. Thank you for the redemption and the forgiveness that you bring us. Thank you for being faithful. We trust you. We've seen your word. We've seen how your word has played out through the course of history and how it still is, how there's still more to come. Father, help me as I lead this church to be a church full of Dutch watchmakers and not like that of the cowardly preacher. Let us discern and determine today that you are the highest treasure to have and to give and that you are the authority to which we are accountable. In your awesome and matchless name, we do pray and all the church says, if you need to pray, pray. If you need to repent, repent. If you need someone to pray with you, I'm up here. Do what it is that you need to do as we continue on in worship and singing.